Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast. I'm Lucas with Jonathan. Jonathan, we got some Sixers stuff to talk about, but I guess our main focus is going to be the NBA Finals, and that's okay because you know what? It's important, and we do got a, a former Sixer playing at least one. No, I guess you could count DeAndre Jordan, but he's not really playing. Hayward Highsmith. Oh yeah, I forgot about Hayward. Yeah, Blue Coats alumni. Yeah, I was actually thinking Jimmy, but yeah, Hayward. Yeah. Shout out to Hayward. Good for him. He's playing well. All right. Yeah, he is playing well. He played well, really, in game one. But, we, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. But first, we're going to talk about some more Nick Nurse, right? So yeah. I, did, I did some digging this past week, and I found some interesting quotes he said about Tyrese Maxey, you know, our favorite young sixer. Um, as you know, Tyrese this season is averaged around 20 points per game, you know, Really impressive for a third-year guy that was taken in the, you know, mid to late second round. Um, and Nick Nurse has been surprisingly surprised with him. I mean, he had some comments, and I'll just summarize these com- comments, but he was essentially saying it was already hard to defend Tyrese already with his speed and his shooting. But when pressed about asking about what Tyrese can improve upon moving forward, Nurse had this to say, and I quote, He's got tremendous chance to improve and take a step forward. And from all indications, he's really hungry to do so. Good worker, good person who really wants to get better. There are some specifics, I would say, maybe more more of a creator. And, well, what is creating? Creating is scoring or drawing more people, more people than one then you're creating for others. Can he make the reads, all the reads? And I think that's the first place I would start offensively, getting him more reps and pick and rolls so he can make reads for all the other players on the floor, depending on what he sees. So my question to you, Jonathan, is can Maxi become a true point guard and run an offense like Nurse is describing here? Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I picked up. Like, clearly he makes it sound like he wants Maxi to be more of a point guard first kind of player. I mean, he, he plays hybrid at the one or the two, but it seemed like he was more fitting into a shooting guard role. I think he can. I think he has the talent. I mean, 
so you don't necessarily need a true point guard on guard on your team as we're seeing like Jamal Murray is the point guard for Denver he technically has always been a two his whole life so I mean I think Maxi has the ability to be a like shoot first kind of run the offense kind of player I don't know what kind of creator he can be I mean I don't think we've seen him in that role of like assist first kind of player if he can do that I'm sure with Nurse, who's great at developing young players, that he can potentially get to that point. But, like, I have hope with Nurse working with him. And Maxie's so young, I think he'll he'll be able to sponge stuff up. Um, But, yeah, it's different than what we thought of him as. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's look at the past here with Maxie and Nurse. In terms of point guard development, Nurse was on the uh, the coaching staff when – Fred VanVleet became a point guard. You know, he was learning behind Kyle Lowry, kind of like what um, Tyrese has been doing with James. And I'm sure learning from James is a lot for Tyrese. It's a lot of good things there. But let's look at Tyrese before James came. Now, I said this in the past, and I remember re- pulling up the stat. It's It was about 10 games, last 10 games before James was acquired in the trade, that Maxi was averaging around 12, uh, no, six, uh, six assists a game. And for, you know, doing that for a Doc Rivers team, which Doc Rivers has a history of being very tough on point guards, as Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, other guys. Maxi to do that and, you know, in his second, uh, you know, during his second season with Doc, you know, asked to become the full-time starting point guard. That was a big deal. And I, I think, you know, learning from Doc, who was a former point guard himself, and now learning from Nurse, who's a really good X's and O's guy, I, I think that it is possible. I think... Now, like you said, I don't think he's going to be like a pass first guy like Steve Nash or, you know, uh, Jason Kidd. But can he become like a Jamal Murray where he can average about six to seven assists a game and really just pile on uh, with the scoring? Sure. And and the thing is, is like Joel's not going to is not the same playmaker as Jokic. But could Joel average around five assists a game in a different role? I I think so. And I think that that combined with Maxi, I think that that would supplement any playmaking that could, uh, you know, drop off if James doesn't return, which brings me to my next question for you, Jonathan. What does this mean for James Harden, regardless if he stays or if he goes? Yeah, I don't think that Nurse's comments specifically were directed, like implying that Harden would be here or not. I think even if Harden is here, that this can work. I think Harden can obviously play off ball. He played with Chris Paul for a little, not saying it was the most successful, but Harden knows how to play more off ball offense if called upon. So I don't think it's too big of a deal if he stays, if he goes, I think it's, it's kind of what we were saying. Like we really need a point guard. Like we're lost without a point guard. And even thinking Maxi was on the roster, we didn't think he might be the guy that would run the team or might need more depth there. So I think nurse is kind of hedging it almost saying, if Harden leaves, like he, not that he's saying this, but the implication is if Harden leaves, we got Maxi who can be versatile and who can learn to thrive into that role. And if he stays, we can find more offensive sets where Maxi's off the ball and then when Harden is off the ball and kind of have that balance, especially with one of one or both of them running with the second unit too. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's overly um like effective uh for James Harden. How about you? Look, I think if James Harden stays, he's going to have to learn to play off the ball more because I tell me if I'm wrong, but outside of free throws, he was not the most efficient scorer this year in terms of two point percentage. So 
I, I think that as Harding gets older, and if he decides to stay, he's going to have to give Maxi more of the reins, and I, I think that Maxi can handle it. If he goes, uh, you know, obviously Maxi, he did it for the Sixers, and they were like a four or five seed before James came. So, like, I don't think it's impossible for Maxi to get better from his second year to his fourth year as terms as a full-time playmaker. Um, I will also say this: if James leaves, that does open up salary cap space. Not not salary cap space because we'll still be over the tax, but we could re- we could theoretically then re-sign Shake Milton, who. I think we both agree was is a really good backup and, you know, was able yep. to step up big last season when called upon. And I mean, if you have a, you know, shake is not a bad playmaker. He could get you five assists off the bench on any given night. And I mean, he can still score pretty well too. I mean, when he was, uh, when he was starting last season due to injuries, he was averaging like, what was it? Like 18, eight and five or something, something yeah, crazy like that. I can't remember the exact stats off the top of my head, but Shake Milton is certainly somebody that if James goes, I, I don't see the Sixers uh, wanting. I think they would offer him a little bit more to stay, and they could do that with the you know because they won't be over the second caps uh, apron with without James. So that that's something to consider as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, the only real change of Sixers news that happened recently was Daniel House exercising his player option. I know not the most exciting Sixers news, but something happening. So last summer we signed him to a uh, two-year $8.4 million contract with the second year, obviously this upcoming year being the player option. I think it was smart for him to exercise it. He didn't get a ton of playing time. So necessarily going off just like reputation, getting $4 million on the on the market, he might've been able to get that, but I think coming back to a system for the second year, hoping that he might get a little more action in the rotation. So what are your thoughts on him coming back? Are you surprised that he exercised this option? I'm not. Look, I, I don't think it, it was the best season for Daniel House. During during his best seasons, he's a fifth starter. And during some of his lower seasons, he's been the end of the bench type guy. So and it was closer to a bad season for Daniel House. I mean, he had some shining moments in the playoffs because of his defense and the fact that he showed us that he could create a little bit off the dribble, which I don't think we really saw all that much this season. He can get to the rim when he needs to. Um, the shooting has to get better, obviously. It may be inconsistent playing time was a, a factor in that. Um, I suspect with a defensive coach like Nurse, I, I think a guy like House will be relied upon a little bit more with his size and athleticism than by doc. So do you think um, nurse will make house more effective for this team? I, I mean, he's going to be effective on the defensive end, regardless of who the coach is. Can he get him to be a better shooter? That that's yet to be seen. Cause I mean, we, we know that a uh, nurse tried to get the struggle to get some of the best out of his players in his last season. But at the same time, I, you know, it could be a new coach could be a new, could be a reset for house. And that, that could help. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. But do you think there's any possibility that Philly might trade House, even though like he exercised this option, they might try and move on from him? I'd have to check to see if there's any trade restrictions in terms of a player exercising an option, which, by the way, this was a an exception. This was a partial exception, if I remember. I can't remember the name of the exception, but it is an exception that they signed him to last year. Um, but if they paired him with like say Corkmaz, um they that's close to 10 million that you could get a solid player for that in return um yeah if if there's no restrictions 
options. I don't see why they wouldn't explore that. I mean, Sam Hinkie's uh, not Sam Hinkie. Wow, that's a throwback. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Daryl Morey. Uh, you know, Hinkie's. Uh, you know, I guess you can say sensei or you know, guy that he learned from. Um, Daryl Moore is always about making deals. So if House is tradable, I, I'm sure he would consider it. I don't think he's untouchable by any stretch of the imagination, especially as it seems like they're not going to be catering to James like they did last offseason. I think this offseason is a little bit more focused on just trying to get better. You think teams would want House and Corkmouse? I mean, if you're a rebuilding team like, say, Utah, and you have a few veterans like, <laughs> say, I don't know, Kelly Olynyk. I don't know if that the contracts would line up, but I mean, um, or if Alonik's even a, a available, he might be a free agent. But like, um, you know, somebody a veteran team looking to shed uh, some older talent for some younger talent. I mean, Corkmaz is still pretty young, um, and uh, House is on a cheap contract. You know, combining those two to get off of, you know, getting those two to get off of, a, like, say, an older veteran player. I think it's possible. I don't think like they're going to be like high sought, you know, commodities, but team trying to get off a longer deal, like say a veterans on a deal for three years versus just one year that each one of them have has left. I, I think it's possible. Okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, on that note, we're going to go to the NBA finals. What is your reactions from game one? Is particularly Jokic's dominance, especially the fact that he barely scored in the first three quarters or barely took shots. I'm not going to say he didn't score, but he barely, he only took like, what, five shots in the first three quarters. And then Jimmy looking out of gas. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think my first reaction was the Jokic thing. I, I don't know if it was through a half or three quarters, but they said he took like, yeah, four or five shots. I think he was three of four and had like, 10 points maybe maybe eight even like he was well, playing he, he hit some free throws i think yeah, yeah he, more than that. he was playing extremely unselfish basketball and just showing that like he doesn't need to score and he even said that after the game like he's like i i'm i don't need to be a score first per- person like i think he's been kind of like lebron gets offended when they say he's a scorer like I, I almost felt like Jokic sort of felt that way like trying to say hey this is who i am i'm versatile i can play these different games and and he's more proud, I think, of the assists and helping his teammates. So, honestly, I, I was more impressed with Jokic. I didn't, like, I thought the Nuggets would win that game, but not as handily as they did. I think it was, like, 8 to 12 after one quarter, 17 after two, 21 after three. Like, they were completely dominating, even though it ended a little bit closer than that. So, that's my take on Jokic. I know you mentioned Jimmy. I don't necessarily think that Jimmy was gassed. I think... He took 13 shots. That seems to be the criticism. Like, you're being the star on the team. You should take a lot more. But the other guys just weren't hitting. Like, he's he's played this way in the past, and the role players knocked down shots, and it's never been a question. But Struess, Duncan Robinson, and Gabe Vincent were, like, 2 of 23 for, like, 8%. Just absolutely, like, awful. And, and that's not Jimmy's fault. Maybe he should have taken shots, more shots, when he saw that they weren't knocking anything down. But, I mean, the Heat play that way. They, they play more team first basketball so i don't necessarily think it was jimmy being gassed i think denver just looked like a better team what what do you think well let me start with Jokic's dominance i haven't seen a player and now that i've had some time to actually really watch him because you know we're Sixers fans we don't we only watch Jokic really when um when they play against philly but Jokic might be the first superstar since chris paul prime chris paul that cares more about passing 
than scoring. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big compliment because I, I remember a couple about two or three seasons ago, pro, no longer than that, about four or five seasons ago, Jokic just was essentially averaging like 16, 11 and seven. And the, the, the criticism was, Oh, you need to score more. So what does he do? He scores more. And then like, but he did, does he need to, I mean, look, Miami, Bam Adebayo, one of the better defenders in the NBA, has no chance against a big lumbering guy like Jokic. Like, and I think you agree with me. Like, centers like Jokic, Joel, maybe even Carl Anthony Towns to an extent. Guys that can beat, or Brooke Lopez even to an extent, if Brooke Lopez decided to take him down, down in the block. Like, big lumbering centers? Bam can't do much against. He's only 6'9". Yeah. <laughs> Who's your other option? Cody Zeller? Like, that's a joke. I'm sorry. Like, Cody Zeller, you, you deserve to be in the NBA, but, like, you're not going to stop any of these guys. And there was a re- there was a while back, uh, and I forget who it was. I think it was either Chris Bosh or it might have been uh, Hashim Whiteside, that for a while, Bam was at the four because he when he first came into the league, he wasn't strong enough to guard most fives. So I, I think Jokic is just dominant. And I mean, he doesn't need to score and his teammates are uh, the chemistry's there and everything's going good. So I, I don't think it's a dominant issue. And yeah, no, I, I think that like the, the Nuggets are a better team and Jokic is the best player in the series as of now. Now going to the Jimmy thing, I think that it's, he, he is partially out of gas, but also look who's defending him. Aaron Gordon. Probably one of the biggest uh, athletic defenders in the in the game in terms of like who he can cover. He can cover guys that are like six four, or he can cover cover guys that are like LeBron James. He can actually body up LeBron James and not lose ground. He how guarded many, LeBron and KD. Yeah, how many and like did a decent? I mean, KD still got his numbers, but like you, he has he played those guys as good as anybody could play them. Yep. So. Aaron Gordon, one of the best, you know, big wing defenders that you have in the league. And Jimmy is, you know, he's not as bulky as LeBron or as tall as KD. He's six, seven, you know, and he's not like he's strong, but he's not LeBron's strong. And Aaron Gordon is closer to LeBron strong than Jimmy Butler strong. So there's going to be some problems. And of course, Kevin Porter Jr. decided, hey, I'm going to play defense this time around, too. Look fantastic, and KCP is a really good defender too. So is Bruce Brown. Jimmy's gonna have his problems against this team, but as you said, they they didn't hit a lot of shots. Miami just missed a lot of open shots, and you know that's not gonna happen every night. Oh well, hopefully it doesn't happen every night, but we'll see. So game two predictions: What are Miami's adjustments? What are you know either rotationally or schematically? What do they do differently? Well. We know uh, we're recording this right before the game starts. It they announced that Kevin Love is going to be in the starting lineup now. Kevin Love's only six eight, but I, like he seems to be able to guard bigger defenders better than Bam does. And it, you remember his time in Minnesota, he was a walking double double. Like oh, yeah, yeah, 20, 24 and twelve. Yeah, fantastic player. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I think that having Kevin Love in the starting lineup just. He, he was a coach's decision, did not play in game one. I, it, it's just a bad call. He has the experience and he has the size to be able to give. I mean, 
like even if he's not like dom giving Jokic like too much trouble, you can give Bam a break on the defensive side. You can or have or have him cover Aaron Gordon, who Aaron Gordon was just posting up everybody in the first quarter of game one. Absolutely. Like what you were saying, like I think that their biggest adjustment just needs to be trying to play a little bigger. You have Jokic who's seven foot, Aaron Gordon's like six nine, Michael Porter Jr. is six ten. That's a huge lineup. That's three people who I mean Aaron Gordon around the same size as Bam, but like three people who are taller than essentially everyone on the heat. And they're just long. They play a lot better defense. I think the way, what you really have to do, Bam played great on offense, but I think you need to work Jokic even more in the pick and roll. Getting him tired on defense will not only affect his shooting, but his facilitating on offense. If you can really make him work on the defensive end. And you saw them try to do that with Bam initiating the offense, but uh, and Bam had 26 points, but on 25 shots, like Bam yeah. needs to be more efficient, but like you got to get Jokic going east to west versus, I mean, you need to have him going east to west and north and south. You just got to, do you remember, I don't know if you ever heard, uh, have you ever listened to a Bill Russell interview when he talked about, um, Whenever he talked about Wilt. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I have. I did my senior thesis on him in college, but um, <laughs> I did. And I heard a lot. But the main thing that he said he would try to make Wilt do is just run, run all the time. You, That's what you got to get Jokic to do. Don't get me wrong. Like, he looks like he's like an average Joe, but he's in great condition. That being said, any big guy will get tired out eventually. And they, I mean, yeah, Aaron Gordon's your backup center during the playoffs. That's fine. But like, what if Aaron Gordon gets in foul trouble? Then what? Yeah. And I suspect that he might with Jimmy probably going to turn up the heat now in game two. I ah, turn up the heat, pun intended, <laughs> not intended, but still um, turn up the yeah. heat into the foul line a lot more. Yeah, so. he's a, he is in incredible shape. Jokic is like, that's the, the long form articles I've been reading lately about the effort he's put in, like how much he's worked toward it. But that is what you have to do. You have to try and get Jokic working on the defensive end, make him a little more less effective on offense. I, I mean, I still think he's going to do what he does. He's going to impact the game a ton, but that's where, that's where I'm going to start with Miami's adjustments. Is there anything else you think they could do? I think what they did in the fourth quarter with that zone is sell out on denying passes, which means you're, I'd rather Jokic beat me with 50 points than with 15 plus assists. Does that make sense? Because yeah. Because most of his points are not going to come from the three-point line. They're going to come inside the paint. And two is always better, uh, smaller than three, right? That's what Christy used to say all the time. And if you can get Jokic to beat you with twos, and Miami hits their threes, and you don't allow uh, you know, D- Denver to hit threes. Granted, they didn't hit that many in game one. If you sell out on the three-pointers, you're going to you know, make Jokic beat you. Make him beat you with 50-plus points. Yeah. Not that he can't do it, but make him do it. Because that's going to tire him out as the series goes on. I think that's another way to tire him out. It's just let let Denver feed the offense through him. Yeah, I mean, we saw Boston do that with Embiid in the, uh, like, most notably in the last regular season game. It's like, okay, yeah. okay, we'll let Embiid get 50. 52 is what he ended up with. But then everyone else, you're going to lock him down. I mean... Definitely could see how that plays out. I, I think Eric Spolstra is king of adjustments. He's probably the best coach in the NBA today. So I'm I'm sure this game's going to be a lot closer. I, I at least hope so. It's either him or Ty Lue. It depends on what you're, what you're feeling, to be honest. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, we will see tonight, um, and, and maybe we'll have some more Sixers news next time. Um, but, yeah, appreciate everyone listening, as always. You can read our stuff on the Sixersense.com. Got some good articles coming out this week. And you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Play, Google, Odyssey Now, anywhere you listen to your podcast you can talk. So appreciate you all listening again. And until next time, go Sixers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.